Hey everyone, this is the Trail Life Podcast. Okay, enough of that. I, there's a reason why I don't sing. Um, <laughs> uh, welcome everyone to another episode of the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening in on another episode. Uh, it's it's always a good conversation here and today is no different. Uh, I had a chance to sit down and chat with somebody who I had not met before, but have looked up to in the, in the ultra space for a while. I mean, he, the stuff that he's done and currently doing is amazing. And we have a chance to sit and talk about his journey into trail running and what he's got going on, his upcoming AZT 800 with uh, Mike McKnight, his adventure, your potential business uh, is crazy and, and some great opportunities there. Let's just get right into it because this this is a fun, fun conversation. I really enjoyed talking to him. Welcome to The Trail Life. Mr. Ben Light, The Trail Life Podcast is presented by Solomon. For over 75 years, their passion for outdoor sports, new technologies, and craftsmanship have driven them and still do to create progressive gear to enable you to freely enjoy and challenge yourself in the great outdoors. Today, Solomon has an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear, perfect for any runner on any terrain, no matter the challenge. Check them out today at your local running store like Runner's Roost or on Solomon.com. This episode of the Trail Life Podcast is brought to you by Polar Seltzer. Premium seltzer with just water, all natural fruit essences, and zillions of tiny bubbles. Polar seltzer is naturally calorie-free with no sweeteners or sodium. Family run since 1882. That's 140 years of making bubbles. Why be flat when you can sparkle? Looking for a polar near you? Go to polarseltzer.com or visit your local grocery store. Help me turn the turning. Help me get it right. this morning well this morning was up in temp uh, it's called mount timpanogos okay and it's uh one of the so on the wasatch front you have about like 20 something eleven thousand foot peaks okay. kind of like spread out and it's the second highest one but it's it's like you, you can't get better like trail running and training and hiking and scenery all in one you know 14 mile loop with about 4,200 feet of vert. So it's, and you get the gorgeous views up there for the sunrise. And I have a buddy where I have a guy that's in town from Serbia. Okay. Um, he's running the Bigfoot 200 this weekend. Me and Mike are going to help him. He actually is the guy that Mike was battling at Moab last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. So he, he's come in to do Bigfoot and me and Mike are actually going to team up and crew him and pace him and see if we can help him beat Mike's record. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one way to do it, I guess. You, you uh, get, so you, you, I was just telling Mike, I was encouraging him. I was like, you just have uh Yovicia is his name. Yovicia. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out how to say it correctly because i've been saying it wrong for like nine months uh uh he, he you get him to to raise the bar and then mike can go back and yeah you know, there you go gives you, you more motivation are you you're using him as a pawn then is that is yeah that yeah so mike's always talking about going back and doing the triple crown again and i'm just like 
okay. You know, like, you know, you've been there, done that a couple times. I'm like, I'm all about new adventures. And he's just like, I want to see if I can go back. Well, this will motivate him to go faster. Yeah, there so. you go. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the video that you shot was just epic. Like it was such a gorgeous video um, that you shot. Now, unfortunately, the wind, it was so windy up there. You couldn't really hear the audio aspect of it. Oh, really? I barely yeah. ever, I barely I, ever listen. I, you, you asked, you asked you VC, I guess a question and he was trying to talk and all you could hear is the wind. And I was like, well, at least the video, the, at least the, the visual is, was epic and stuff. So he's, he's very light spoken too. So I knew he was talking, but he was very light spoken. I didn't realize the wind was kind of impeding it, yeah. but. Wow. So now I'll, we might as well just start right here. So this is, is this part of taking people out on runs like this? Is this part of your current business? The adventure, it's, your potential? And, and I'll be perfectly transparent. Uh, it's what I'm trying to get more into. Um, it's kind of, it's a very touchy, touchy, uh, temperamental thing because like you, there's certain areas in national forest and in, you know, national parks and in wilderness, there's like three different sections of, and then BLM, some places you need permits, some places mm -hmm. you don't. So I'm not saying I'm a guide because I'm not, I'm not necessarily guiding. I'm just accompanying. So yeah. uh, I'm trying to get a little bit more into people flying into Utah and they want to get out and train or they're here for vacation and they, there's a lot of people that just don't know where to go. You know, like oh, yeah. what's, what's, I got two runs to do. This is my fitness level. Where would you go if you were me? And that's pretty much like, Hey, this is where I would go. Uh, and if you want to pay me for my time, I'll just go with you and we'll talk, we'll have a discussions and stuff like that. We'll, I'll get to know you better and stuff like that. We'll adjust to your pace um, and you know, kind of a thing. If So that's kind of like a, an idea around, uh, cause I've had a lot of people come and, and do that. And, and people keep on saying, you should charge for this. You know, yeah. you should pay, for, I mean, on another part of my business. And so I've decided to kind of, well, let's see what that looks like. Let's see yeah. if there's a market for that. Well, I mean, it's actually a really quite interesting way to look at it. I mean, there's so many people that are traveling you know, on vacation or for training runs or whatever it is that don't know anything about the area. Yeah. Right. That would love to go out, but maybe don't, especially if you know, like you're female and, and don't feel comfortable running out there in the middle of nowhere by yourself. Right. So there's yeah. definitely the, the, it, it suits a, it, it suits a need mm -hmm. for, for people. And if they get a chance to get out there, we run with you for a little bit and, and you get a chance to meet new people and everything. I mean, it's, yeah. it's gotta be, it's definitely a benefit in both ways for sure. At least that's the way I would look at it. So. And I have some really good female friends that um, if an individual wanted to come out and they just didn't feel comfortable going one-on-one -on -one with male and female kind of a scenario, which mm -hmm. is perfectly understandable. Uh, you just invite a third female, you know, another female along to a company as well. So, you know, there's two females instead of a, and one male, you know, yeah. or I could actually pair them up with other strong females that know area, the, the area as well. I mean, there's so many different options and stuff like that, but to have that connection, to have that Bay ability, that's what I'm, we're kind of hoping to see. And me and Mike are starting a nut and in uh, a company called great Western adventures, 
Okay. Um, and it's going to have uh, running retreats. And oh. uh, oh. we're, we have races, running retreats, and uh, we're looking at a couple other guided things as well. But they would be have to be permit. Like we're going to go full on permitted mm-hmm. and work the, the the avenue like that. It's so hard to get a permit when you're just accompanied because somebody just might want to go for an easy trail run. So it's like it's hard to get like to 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 do that. So that's why I've been just kind of labeling it as an accompanied type of scenario. They're not, they're not paying me to guide them. They're paying me as a running buddy, you know, they do that for skiing, you know, ski resorts and stuff like that. Hey, I want somebody to ski with just keep Well, It's definitely tough. Like I being a race director and I've had, I've dealt with the BLM in Colorado before and it's a pain in the ass and just, just even just doing this, the slightest, Hey, you step one foot or one mile on, on BLM, trail and they want they want some kind of heavy hefty fine for it or hefty permit permit for it and it's just like it kind of deters it it does kind of deter that avenue so to speak so maybe we'll swim back around for that because i definitely want to hear a little bit more about your your current business and what you're doing with the adventure your potential but this is this is the first time that you and i have have met and having a chance to talk so i and i don't know if any of the how much of the runners uh that are listening in on this podcast know who you are so this is kind of a great way to um kind of get a little bit of background on you and how you got into trail running um yeah and so you so you live in utah now but you're not from there right you're from nevada is that yeah i'm actually yeah i'm actually from nevada i i grew up really young in outside of las vegas and henderson uh, in grade school, we moved up to Reno and pretty much I lived up until graduation. Um, once I graduated, I was, I hiatus out of there and, uh, started to venture around between Texas, Washington, uh, California, you know, Utah. And, and I've settled down here. I've been here for little over, I guess th- this is my second time to Utah. And this particular time I've been here for, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And where's, uh, is it Hater City? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Heber. 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 Oh, so, so, so close. Yeah, the Heber so is a mountain valley. It's kind of uh-huh. like a, so you got your main valley of Salt Lake and Provo. That's the main uh, valley floor. Um, we're up on the opposite side of the Wasatch Range that, that divides it. And uh, Park City is right next to me. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a number of different mountain valleys that go from south to north on the eastern side of the Wasatch Range, whereas all the city city folk are on the uh, on the uh, western side of the Wasatch Range. Got it. Growing up in in Henderson and, and up in the Reno area, were you ever like a big athlete or into running at that early stage of your life, or when did you get into into running as a whole? Well, I got, I got into it. Um, I started, so I've always been into fitness and I've always done sports. Um, once I got out of high school, my sports looked like pretty much skiing and weightlifting. I have always been a gym rat. Um, I've been a personal trainer, got, um, done strength and conditioning coaching for high schools, have had one-on-one personal training and stuff like that, done CrossFit, uh, training. So I had all that, but I ran into the, the, uh, metabolism shedding down at, or like slowing down in the, in the <laughs> early, early thirties, late, late, you know, and, yep. 
and lifting heavy and eating a lot of calories. And then all of a sudden you look in the mirror and like in like six months, you're like 220 pounds. I mean, I hit 220 and I was lifting heavy and I was like, okay, this is not exactly what I wanted (laughs) when I was saying I wanted to get big. So Trust so me. that 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 was my introduction to. I need to reformulate what I'm doing. Um, took a bigger dive into nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, uh, what are what what do, what do I need to adjust on my calories and my macros? And then introduced to cardio. And boy, that was a rough, long road. I tried to do the running thing. I mean, like seriously a mile like i would stress out to have to run a full mile and uh at the park at the the, where the gym was and so i started actually i moved over to swimming and i started swimming like three days a week and started getting into it and i'm like hey this is great i'm buoyant you know (laughs) (laughs) this doesn't hurt the knees it doesn't hurt the back totally and stuff like that so I started with a slow process and started to uh, do some stair machines, do some elliptical uh, swimming, got to the point where I started changing my diet. And when I did those things, I, I, it fell off pretty, pretty fast. It was, it was like that, that change of lifestyle that all of a sudden it started coming off. And as that came off, I was able to run a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I got to the point where now I can actually do a mile run on the treadmill before I started to work out. Like every day I'd go there, I'd do a warm up, a mile warm up, and then do a stretch and kind of a mobility routine and then get into my workout. And that slowly progressed into, well, I remember I started getting up into like a mile or a mile and a half and then a mile and a half after my workouts. And then, uh, when I, I lived in forest Hill. So I, in my, my moving around, I moved to forest Hill and anybody in ultra running knows forest Hill is the dead center for the Western States, you know, yeah. 100. <laughs> and I had no clue at that time. People ran a hundred miles. I, I never had heard of it. Never had heard of it. And, uh, I remember, I would run from my house. I started to run from my house to the gym and then back to, you know, so I wouldn't have to actually do treadmill when I was there. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I mean, it, it just slowly progressed from there. So let me just say it that way. Like long story short, uh, it's progressed from there. I still thought I met people that were running these hundred miles that lived in forest Hill trail mm-hmm. runners. And I was always intrigued with trail running, but, um, it, to me, they were the, they, they had a screw loose still at that point. Uh, those, those individuals had a lot of emotional work that they had to work out. So, so. Well, they, they say that though, like a lot of other athletes say that about CrossFit athletes, athletes yeah. too, though, right? I, I was in, you and I kind of share a lot of the same like background in that aspect of it. I, I'm a little bit bigger guy. I'm six, five, two forty. did yeah. CrossFit for years didn't really, and when you're in CrossFit, you don't really run that long unless it's no. really built in, right? Like a mile is the longest you run in a CrossFit workout. So doing the same thing, it's like, all right, I'd jump right back to swim just because I didn't want my joints to hurt anymore. So I kind of followed that same suit of <laughs> didn't want to run, ran a little bit, figured it was too, too much on my body and then got into swimming. And now it's kind of the same, same thing. Now it's, I'm a 
trail running race director. So yeah. I'm out <laughs> trails all the time, but it is, it's funny. Like when you're in that other side of things, you always think that the other athlete is, man, these guys are crazy. Who wants to go out and run 50 miles or a hundred miles or who would, who'd be able to do that. But until you're in that, in, in those shoes, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, and just to, to, to a point to that is like, you think that they have, that, that they're nuts, but it's, you that actually is throwing up the barriers in your personal like progression of what is possible. It's you're the one that says that has to be impossible. I don't even, I can't comprehend that it's you putting up those, those limitations. Um, and that's kind of like one of the things I really fell in love with, with ultra running and trail running was that natural progression into problem solving, uh, believing, in myself, that self-confidence, like, Oh, I just did that. I wonder if I could go even one mile farther. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you're always just wondering if you go one mile farther over time, you're just going to be extending that distance and extending that distance. So it's pretty empowering for me as an individual, as I started to increase my distance is, wow, I'm, I'm really doing this and I'm, I'm capable of it. And so if I'm capable of doing this truly, is there actually a limit? Is there really a limit to what we can do? Of course, there's going to be a progression of learning, mm-hmm. but as you learn and as you grow in knowledge and understanding, is there actually a limit? You know, is there, is there actually a summit? It's always like a false summit. There, there's, there's more that we can learn. And that's kind of where the name adventure your potential came from because I was going to ask that yeah. self-discovery of a venture and trying to discover your own personal potential in it. And it is, it's limitless. Wow. So you're in forest, you're in forest Hill getting like getting a little bit of a tease of, of some running there. Is that where you kind of got into the trail running? Itself? I started doing a couple of trail runs there. Okay. They had a mountain bike course and I started doing the mountain bike, like mountain bike. And I was like, and I saw a couple of people running. I was like, Oh, I wonder if I could run this. And so that kind of like, you know, it was, it was a run hike and stuff. I, I, I didn't quite understand. I mean, I knew people were running hundred miles. I knew people are trail runners, but I figured they ran everything. You know, when you first get into trail running, it's like they run everything, you know, if they're, you know, they just, you're not a hiker, you're a trail runner, you know, yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, how do these guys do this? It's like some of this stuff, I'm going to die, you know, what was your, uh, you just something to learn and stuff like that. But I actually, from there moved to Washington. Um, and, uh, in that process of being up there, I had taken a job that sent me to long Island, New York to work at, on man in Manhattan. And when I was there, the New York marathon was going on and the expo was going on. And so I, on my day off, I was like, nothing else to do. I went into Manhattan. I wanted to go see the yeah. expo and see this, you know, I started to getting into running a little bit and just wonder what goes on there. And so I went to the expo and Lo and behold, I walked into this booth that had a table set up that had some books on it. And uh, the book was called Run from Dean Karnazes. And uh, so I started just looking at the looking at the book, just sitting there in the booth. And then this guy walks up to me. He's like, hey, uh, do you plan on buying that book? Because if, <laughs> you know, if you buy it, I'll, I'll sign it for you. 
<laughs> but if not, you're going to need to leave because there's a line of people that you just like walked in front of that I was totally <laughs> oblivious to. And, uh, and, and so I was like, Oh, and I was kind of reading the preface and everything. I'm like, yeah, this, this looks great. And so he's, as he's signing it, I'm looking at his jacket and it says Western States finisher on his jacket. And I was like, Oh, I know the Western States, you know, I, I lived in Forest Hill. And so I got a picture with him and it's like this early picture of me and Dean Kanazas. And I, at that time I was doing a little bit of triathlon training and I did my first mm-hmm. sprint triathlon. So I had my triathlon shirt on, you know, I was pretty proud of my, my sprint triathlon that I did. And, uh, yeah. And then I read that book and it planted a seed, but that seed took about two years to grow because it was my own personal limitation of what I thought was possible yeah. that prevented me from, I mean, I, it, it sat there and dwelled in there. It can, I do that. Cause that's what he's kind of talking about in his book is like, Hey, you can do this. Anybody can do this. You know, it's not supernatural. It's not, you know, you don't have to have some superpower or anything like that. It's just getting out there and doing it and, uh, being consistent and applying hard work and, and, you know, there's no limit. That was, that was the pivot point, the seed that was planted that has caused this. (laughs) And I've ran into him like four different times over the last 10 years. And we always get a picture together and he, he's, he's gotten to the point of remembering me. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) and so I'm just like that you caused this, this this is, this is your your fault. (laughs) This is your fault. You know, he's like, what crazy, challenge have you thought up now that's what he always asked he's like what crazy challenge because i told him about the wasatch tahoe i ran into him right before the wasatch tahoe and i told him about it. he's like what <laughs> like you're gonna run the wasatch 100 and the tahoe 200 that start the same day like what <laughs> <laughs> wow what a what a way to get introduced into the mentality of, of running right yeah <laughs> by from one of the best in the best <laughs> so yeah <laughs> what was your what was your first event then after you after that two years of like progressing into the mentality of it like what did you step into did you step into like a shorter like oh yeah five k half marathon or i i stepped straight well, let me say this. I say I stepped straight into. So what happened was, is I lived in Spokane for a while. I was, I practically worked remote most of the time, Seattle, New York. So I really didn't reside there, but I would come home and I'd train. I was doing more road running. I had a young son. I'd put him in the, the stroller and push him up the hills of Spokane and, and use it as a cardio workout and stuff like that. But um, I moved to Utah and Utah is where pretty much the, that helped me push to that next step. And I ended up getting on first, I ended up getting on a Ragnar trail team, the very first Ragnar trail ever done down in Zion. I got on a team ran trail and I was like, okay, this is way cooler than running road. So I, that planted the seed. And then within a month after I was introduced to a trail running group here in the Wasatch. And so I started going to group runs and you're sitting there running like maybe a six mile loop in the morning before work. And you got these guys talking about their next 50 miler, their next hundred miler, the Wasatch and Mm -hmm. all this different stuff. And you just kind of like, you just kind of like listen and you're kind of like, that's more seeds seeds are getting planted. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, I'm not one of you yet. You don't feel like I'm one of you yet. You know, my farthest distance is like, a half marathon, you know, at one time, you know, kind of a thing. And so, uh, I ended up 
back in Spokane, there was a 50K. It's called the Spokane 50K. And it's kind of interesting. It kind of ties in Candace uh, Burt. Uh, she was actually the race director at that time for that particular oh. race. I um, And so there was a 50K back there. I was like, I don't know why I wanted to go back to, to the Spokane 50K. When I lived in Utah, there's a ton of trail races, <laughs> but that one stuck in my mind. And I was like, I'm going to do that someday at one point. And so I signed up for it, went back there. And so the Spokane 50K in 2013, I think it was, was my first 50K. So we're, we're just wow. right under 10 years you yeah, know, on the, on the ultra running scene. I knocked that out and one year later, and it was, it was probably the hardest thing I ever did in my life at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, it was, it was, you know, I was like, okay, I'm an ultra runner, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm done, you know, and now I can sit there and next thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but anyways, like, you know, in a year, a year later, I, I kept on trail running. I kept on meeting with the groups, having fun with it, but I didn't, I was like kind of the back of the packer. I was just happy to be among like-minded people. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed. And so, uh, I got messaged on Facebook by a, a friend that I grew up with in high school that had a coworker that had a daughter-in-law back in Georgia that was coming out to <laughs> the Tahoe to run the very first Tahoe 200. Okay. Uh, in 2014, reintroduced Candace again, you know, like yeah. her very first uh, Tahoe 200. So I came out to run this. Uh, they asked me if I would be interested in pacing this bird. And so we made a connection. I got connected with her and I committed that I'd help her. I came out to that, uh, that race. And uh, I just remember it's like, such an awesome experience because I, I, we meet up at the condo. We're on our way over to the race start. This is my first time even meeting her and her and her husband are, you know, they're driving them in the backseat with, with, uh, I think they're kids or something like that. And, uh, so I'm like, they asked me and say, Hey Ben, like how many hundreds have you ran? I mean, this is, I was like, this is a mistake on their part for not asking me that question in the first place for the months leading up to it, but they're just happy to have a body. So I'm there going, well, I've, I've ran, you know, a 50 K I've ran 31 miles and the (laughs) the look of fear came over and her husband turns to her and goes, Lauren, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 where am I missing here? (laughs) You know, like, 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 what's going on? And she's like, well, I had like five pacers lined up and you're the only one that showed up. You know, she has 140 miles of pacing to do uh, that she needs. And I'm the only pacer that showed up on her team. And I'm like, well, I'm good for 31 miles. I I don't know anything (laughs) after that. (laughs) So, but when all in said and done, uh, it was pretty interesting experience. She she goes, okay. When I went in with her at Sierra Tahoe at mile 60, uh, she goes, I want you to remind me to, to eat on this, on this minute, or I can't remember if it was eat every 15 or eat every 30. And then I want you to make sure I drink every 10 or something like that. And so I was like, Hey, that's what my job was. And so I just watched my watch and I kept on telling her eat, you know, and then I just 
entertainer, tell her stories, you know, talk her ear off. She tell me to shut up. Sometimes I shut up, but <laughs> you know, I learned actually a lot and I wasn't even focused on me. I was completely yeah. focused on doing what she asked me to do and enjoying it. Cause I grew up in Reno. Remember I've hiked all those areas with the boy Scouts, with my dad, I was back in my home stomping grounds and I'm just like loving it and having a ball. And in the end, I ended up pacing her 93 miles. That was like three times what I've ever done in my life. Wow. And it, that was now that Dean Karnazes was definitely a pivot point. That was another huge milestone pivot point for me because it gave me this one. It gave me like, Oh, I think I can do this. Like, and then two, it, the first glimpse of understanding that it, like when you're focused sometimes on someone else than yourself, mm -hmm. um, you can do so much more when you are the nutrition, the learning of that, uh, getting a plan together. And then, um, I, I learned that it was me that held me back. You know, because if you would have asked me to, if I, to run 90, if she would have said, Hey, I need you to run 93 miles before yeah. I even came in, I'd been like, you're, you're, you're on drugs. Like you, you, <laughs> there's no way I would have thrown up so many, but because it was undefined and I had right. no expectations, I just went in and just helped and, and, you know, offered service to her and push way past. So I've taken that lesson in my life and because I ran half that Tahoe 200, mm -hmm. I kept dwelling on it, dwelling on it, dwelling on it afterwards. And I'm like, I, I want to, I want to run. I want to say that I ran all the way around Lake Tahoe. I want to say I ran yeah. 200 miles. If she can do it, I can do it. I saw half the people there and they were all walks of life of, of body shapes and sizes and ages. And it inspired me. It's like, yeah. this is, this is so much more of a mental sport than a physical the physical definitely determines how fast you can finish yeah. it but the mental decides if you're going to show up and train and prepare and then actually finish in the end comes down yeah. to that mental and emotional strength well it's that's what's always interesting me on the longer events like tahoe right or moab it's the strategy behind it when do you eat when do you sleep how far do you push yourself before you get to that breaking point? It's, it is completely, like you said, it's all mental when it comes to that stuff. And it's always like interests me as far as how people have to navigate from one spot to the next and that. Right. Yeah. So that being said, I mean, I, I guess you could take away even, even though you're helping her out with her nutrition, I would assume you're probably learning a little bit about, Oh Okay. So she's, she's taking nutrition in these points or how, you know, every so often, or she's sleeping at this. And so I'm assuming you probably took a little bit of those yeah. lessons into your first. Yeah. She, she said, every time you tell me, I want you to do the same. She, she did say that. And so that's why I did the, did the same. And I saw, I felt, wow, I feel so much more amazing and physically than my strength and my energy and everything was so much better when I, when I was taking in, I always call it like a pellet stove, you know, pellet stove drops a pellet into the fire and keeps it burning hot instead of letting the flame go out and then dropping a log in and trying to restart it again. You know, if you keep that pellet stove of nutrition trickling into you, 
um, as an ultra runner, you'll never, you the, the, the blood won't leave the stomach and, and shut down and move out to the extremities. You'll be able to keep that digestion going and yeah. save yourself from, from going into like bonk bonking mode. So did you, uh, turn around? Did you end up signing up for the Tahoe 200 the next yeah. year? I signed up for the Tahoe 200. The very next, I signed up for the Tahoe 200 before I ever finished a hundred miler. Uh, and at that time, Candace, so t- today, Candace will let you, you know, if, is, you know, sign up for a 200 without those credentials. But at that time, you still needed a qualifier. Mm-hmm. And so she let me sign up. And then the qual- I did Bryce 100 as my qualifier. Um, and uh, after I did the Bryce 100 and after I finished the Tahoe 200 the first year, I realized I had a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot to learn. I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, this is going to be a walk in the park as long as I eat every 15 minutes or 30 minutes and, and drink every 10. It's not like, <laughs> like, oh, that's that's the mastermind game plan. No, it was like there's a lot more to it. And so I started to sign up for tons of shorter distance ultras, 50s, 50Ks, and just running anything and everything that I could just to to make mistakes, learn from them, you know, and, and keep trying to figure it out that, uh, you know, how to, how to, to neutralize some of those, uh, uh, I guess, potentials of failure. You know, we all have potentials of failure going into the race and you want to eliminate them and, and neutralize them by experience and knowledge. Yeah. What is, what's one of the, since we're talking about failures, what's one of the biggest failures you experienced. That's, that was kind of like your aha moment of, Oh my God, I've, this is, I've got to change this. Oh yeah. Like what was one of, what was one of those examples? My biggest, it, it, it was big for me because I had the year before I had done the Wasatch Tahoe project. Um, and also before that I did the spine race in the UK which was a big deal. And I learned about when I was at the spine race, I learned about Tour de Jeans, And I also learned about another race in the Pyrenees. Okay. And this race in the Pyrenees traversed the entire Pyrenees mountain, uh, mountain range um, from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean. Well, I, I started looking into that one and I said, this is, this is amazing. Well, that race got actually canceled because of some issues. And I sat there and like, well, why, why do you need a race to run the Pyrenees? Let's just, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, why not? let's just do it. <laughs> I started looking into, I started looking into like through hiking the Pyrenees. I started looking into the routes. I figured out that there's this, uh, HRP route, which is the high route. Um, uh, Killian had the, uh, a uh, supported record on it. Uh, another individual had the self supported record on it. I just like, well, I want to try to, I want to try to do that. So I wanted to try to get the self supported record. But, um, one of the th- things I thought about doing is doing caches. So I studied the route. I found areas to put the caches, um, of supplies. We went over there. I had actually a team to do a video to video. I didn't quite I mean, there's a lot of controversy between self-supported, unsupported, um, with, uh, video crews and, mm. uh, FKT status and stuff like that. I was a little bit younger and naive. And I was just like, well, if they don't hand me anything and give me anything. Well, so, th- so that's a great question. So, so they consider camera crews 
part of a crew, so to speak? So, so I know FKTs for mountain bikes. Yes. Okay. And there's a very gray area because a lot of purist people believe that seeing somebody that's familiar is emotional support. So if you know the camera guy, it's almost like the camera guy would need to be in a blind and you okay. never know he's there. You know, yeah. he's shooting you from afar kind of yeah. thing. But um, knowing that there could be a crew every road crossing somewhere is right. kind of like a emotional sport. So I'm not here to argue that. I'm just, I'll just follow whatever rules they tell me. But at that yeah. time I was like, Hey, yeah. So I actually had a camera crew to come over. I, I mean, we had a, I had a lot of sponsors uh, donating money. We're going over to do this. I, I was pretty confident. And uh, what little did I know was in the upper sections of the uh, Pyrenees, just like any mountain range, it's fed by glacier, like snow melt water. And they talk about the, the springs always running. And that's true. Well, on both sides of the Mediterranean, the Atlantic, the lower places are actually fed by the rainfall. And I ended up hitting, I started the route when there was about a five day heat wave and no rain. And I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. And so I started on the way and I, the major, the major springs were running but it was the small individual springs. And I was running with like just two water bottles because they were saying every five miles, you got water. water. Yeah. And I ran with a uh, Martin uh, drink mix. So that being part of my fuel energy, I ran with a uh, peak refuel dehydrated freeze-dried uh, meals. That was my next meal source. And then I was going to buy from local, uh, shops as I came, went through the towns and, uh, everything depended on water. And so I hit that. And the first hundred K I got a hundred K in, and I was only had like three Springs in a hundred K and I was already like heat exhaustion. It was hot. I didn't realize how humid it was going to be. Um, I sweat a lot. I was cramping. I couldn't take my salt because my, I'd overload on salt because I didn't have enough water to dilute it and, you know, into the system. Uh, it was, it was a mess and I ended up getting heat exhaustion. He, um, and got hundred K about 12 or 13,000 feet of vert in that, uh, you know, and, uh, just, it wasn't, it, it was over, you know, like, <laughs> here I am supposed to be doing this over a 12 day period. And it was, it was done. And I even, I even decided to go move over to supported. I got a hotel at one of the towns that I made it to and saw my crew. And I just said, okay, I'm going to supported. There's just no way. And so then I went into the supported type thing and got a hotel, got pizza. I ate, but like, I'd even just walk down the street and my body was just taxed. Like I could, yeah. like, it was just the core energy was gone. So in answer to your question, that was like probably the biggest failure. Cause I had a lot of money invested. I had a lot of attention. A lot of people were watching and, you know, people. And, uh, at that point, say leading into this, Mike McKnight and Jeff Browning and Zach Bitter were friends of mine and they kept on encouraging me to, give the OFM 
strategy of nutrition a try. And coming from a, a, a lifting background with lean protein, you know, moderate carbs, you know, different, you know, a small amount of fat, it was hard for me to quite understand or believe what was the potential in that type of a diet. So when this happened, everything could have been different, a little bit different. I wouldn't have been utilizing uh, my food would have been different. So I, I decided coming home from the Pyrenees that I was going to give it a try. And I, I just, I haven't looked back. It, it took some time to make the transition. And once the transition happened into the more keto keto state, then moved into the higher amount of carbs while in activity, um, then I started to optimize, started to learn how much, what foods, how I reacted, which foods, mm -hmm. and you start to get more and more empowered. And so I'm a big believer in it. I don't think it's for everyone. And I yeah. think, and my, what I try to advocate, I'm not a, you know, I don't sit there and advocate a ton about nutrition. I, I've shared some things here and there, but I'm not, I'm not the low carb runner. That's not my platform. But, uh, what I do say is I will advocate eating clean. If you're going to be a vegan, be a clean eating vegan. If you're going to yeah. be a pay, you know, paleo eat clean. If you're going to be a keto or OFM eat clean, you know, just get rid of those processed foods, get rid of the, you know, the, the sugars, uh, the high gluten and stuff like that. I'm just really big on, on get your vegetables, get your fruits. And yeah. for my, and for my, you know, sake, I get my, my proteins, my yeah. larger amounts of fatty red meat proteins. <laughs> <laughs> You, uh, you referenced, uh, I, I've read a couple articles here and you referenced it really quick. I want to ask you about it. It was the spine race. Yeah. And for anybody who's unfamiliar with it, it's a, it's a 248 mile race out in Great Britain. Yeah. Two, in, 268. In a, don't shortchange don't short those 20 miles. Those last 20 miles <laughs> Sorry, are hard. 268. So there, you do it in, the, in almost the dead of winter. Is that right? You do it. It's like... They tried it. I mean, no, nobody's out there that's yeah. local on that trail. It's, it's, it's insane. I, so, I'll just be honest. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. It's, <laughs> it, there's a reason why they've labeled it Britain's most brutal race. And a lot of people put it up with, it's in the same classification of Tour de Jeans, okay. uh, a couple other different uh, uh, races across the deserts. It, it, it's just, it's, so it's a mental. So for anybody who doesn't know, cause I I'm, I'm included. I don't really know as much, much about it only from what I've read in articles that you've been in and you've talked about, uh, for anybody who hasn't read that, could you kind of give that kind of like a yeah. flyover over okay. you know, of the course? So the big, because, the big because highlight. I also, I also want you to talk about the big winter storm that rolled oh. through that Britain had not seen in a long time, which I yes. thought was the most interesting aspect of it. Yeah. So I went, so I give you a premise of, of the race. The race is 268 miles. It's on the historic Penine Way Trail. It's kind of similar to like an AT trail or Pacific Crest Trail. It's like kind of there an historic trail that people frequent in the summertime and do uh, through hiking on it. The challenge is, is basically someone came up with the crazy idea of like, let's see who and how fast people can run it 
in the winter time when people completely avoid the, that's those areas. And there's for very good reason. And, um, I heard about it after my second attempt on the Tahoe 200 and I sat there and I thought, well, I can run 200 miles. And they are, they're saying like, yeah, you got like 160 hours to run the 268. And so I was just like, well, I'm running, I'm running in like 70 hours you know, the yeah. Tahoe 200. I'm like, and it doesn't even have, and Tahoe has tons more vert, you know, and you got to understand I'm one of those super naive people, you know, it was like, but you look at the pictures and it looks horrible. And so what makes it super unique is that one, you're, you only have five aid stations, technically five, like set up aid stations. So let's just say every 50 miles, roughly. You do go through towns that if you were to go through the town during the day, you're allowed to access any of the shops if you want to divert from the actual course and, and uh, or go into a pub and grab a meal or try to dry off. And sometimes you're lucky enough to run into those towns during the day to do that. But there's a lot of times that you're, you know, it's the middle of the night. And you're just walking through and everybody's asleep and, and, yeah. and it's ghost town. But um Another huge thing about it is that you, because you're only five and because you're in the winter and because of the conditions, you have to carry safety gear. So you're loaded down. I mean, even me buying the lightest, most expensive equipment that I can possibly find, you're loaded down about 15 pounds and then you add the water and stuff like that to it. So you're, you got a, a fair amount of weight that you're, that you have on your back. So even running after a while is it, it's it's tiresome on everything on all parts of your body and your and the trail. There's a reason why people uh, immigrated from England to the U.S. because if you would see some of the uh, the the places that we went to, <laughs> it's completely inhabitable. You know, right. like up on those marshes and those tundras, those bogs, uh, just mud, mud, mud. So much water, always raining, always in fog. You're so, there's no there's no flags. You know, you have to do self navigation with map, okay. compass, and GPS. So you, map compass is basically a backup. I don't even know why you have it because it's so foggy, you can't get any reference points anyways. Yeah. But um, you got like a GPS and you're just, you're going through people's backyards. You're going over fences. There's so many gates, <laughs> that, hundreds and hundreds of gates to go through. Wow. You're, you're walking in, you know, part of my French, but, or my, my English, but French, uh, sheep shit all over the place. Like <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you can't tell the difference between the mud and the sheep. <laughs> but uh yeah so that's kind of like this thing it's 268 miles well i went the first year that's an it's not a, i don't think this was a as a big of a failure as as the 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 uh, pyrenees but i went the first year and i learned a ton i didn't know that there's waterproof socks like waterproof socks that's a great idea especially yeah. in a muddy yeah. swampy area and so all these uh, foreigners that were there were talking about their waterproof socks. And I was sitting there in my Marina wool ski socks, <laughs> soaking feet for three, four five days, uh, <laughs> huge boils and blisters on my feet. My feet were all pruney and stuff. 
that's one of the things that I, I learned about a, a very crucial piece of gear. Yeah. And then uh, you started learning about new lighter gear and different nutrition things. But um, uh, I fell asleep towards the end. I got to about mile 200. I fell asleep with my feet not elevated and my calf sleeves I left on. And so what that did with it, you know, your feet swell anyways after a mm-hmm. race. Well, I mean, even just spending two hours at an aid station, your feet, the minute you take them out of the shoes and you stop, they just start swelling like instantly. And, uh, I let those cast leaves on and they became like Ronald McDonald, like clown feet. And, uh, they wouldn't fit in my shoes and stuff. And the doctor there, you know, always obviously advised me, you know, professionally that I don't think you know, it'd be smart to keep going forward. And so I made that humble decision to, to, to not put my life at risk or put other people's lives at risk because, and, uh, and bowed out and, you know, and, and dropped. So I, and I knew I could do it. I mean, like you're at 200 miles and 268, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I decided to sign right back up and go back. And the next year I was more prepared. I had done the triple crown in between that year and, and, uh, coming back in 2018, ended up doing the triple crown, got to learn a lot more. Um, but little did I know that a hundred miles in Brit, uh, England was going to get hit by the worst storm in their 30 year history. Like they, it was, it was insane how much snow they got. Um, and so it turned into after a hundred miles, it turned into 168 miles of post holing. And, uh, it looks like, I mean, in a blizzard, like yeah. I got ski goggles on your walk. You're, you're not running in that kind of snow. You're, you're, you're cause, I mean, anybody that knows anything about post holing or breaking yeah. trail and we're talking about wet snow, like it's not dry Colorado. Yeah, I can yeah. just run on dry ground in two yeah. feet of snow because I'm it's light and fluffy. We're talking about really like even heavier than like Sierra cement type stuff. And, and, uh, it just, and then you got the mud underneath it. So you could just step in the wrong spot. You can't tell you go straight through the snow and through into the mud and you drop another six inches to maybe two feet. And it was, you know, two miles an hour sometimes, you know, you're just doing two miles an hour. And so if, if, uh, uh, aid stations 20 miles away, you know, you're not getting there in 10 hours of just walking, you did know, they, did they adjust the time lines? They, they had to, uh, hold the race. I, we got to a point where they, it was a point where I told, I was still like not too far behind the leader pack. And I was actually starting to gain momentum. I was figuring things out. Things were coming together and, I came into a town. I can't remember the exact name of the town, but I came into a town right by uh, the the fell uh, cross, fell cross the mountains, and uh, they basically put the race on a hold. They they called it you know a temporary hold. It ended up being about a twelve hour hold, so that 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 the group that was out didn't necessarily get put on a hold because they were out in the weather, but they held the rest of the group at Mm -hmm. the aid station. So as they came in, they just would hold them in it. You know, all of a sudden there was like, you know, 30 of us 
40 of us in this, you know, building just kind of waiting out the storm because it, it was a serious storm. And when we started, when we, we, we left there, when they read, they said, Hey, you guys can go ahead. It's cleared up a little bit. There's a break in the storm. We went up that mountain and we were post holing up to our thighs because so much snow came in. You couldn't even tell the trail. There's a guy from like Norway that brought his sn- big, huge snowshoes, and we just yeah. sat behind him. And he <laughs> let him break trail. He was like, he's like six five. He's like the biggest guy. It's like it was like the abominable snowman uh, breaking trail for you. But he was just breaking trail with his big old long snowshoes, Damn. and I'm just like chatting his ear off, saying, "This is I'm not going in front of you. There's no there's no reason to work work harder. This is all about working smarter." <laughs> so. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was an insane race. I, but the craziest thing is I want to go back so bad. I want to go back so bad. It was so miserable and so like just, but that finish, it means probably one of the, that's, you know, the harder it is, the more memorable it is. And that's the craziest thing about this sport is like, everybody wants that perfect race. And I'm like that perfect race. I don't know. Like maybe we should be like, actually embracing the struggle and, and, yeah. and, and looking at it as an opportunity to grow. Wow. Yeah. What's, uh, along that same line, like what, what's one of your most memorable events, whether it's a race like that or a portion of like your crew or what, like, is there anything that really sticks out in your mind? Like, this is why I do, this is why I run trails. This is why I do what I do. Is there anything that pops up in your head? Definitely had experiences during that one in some of the sites that you got to see and experience uh, that uh, foreign land, I do, I, I encourage anybody if they're, if they're into racing, sh- strive to go foreign for some races. Cause foreign, foreign races are completely different, whole different ball game. And yeah. it, they're actually just wonderful opportunities to meet some incredible people from all over walks of life, from all over the world. Um, I remember during my, my Wasatch Tahoe, I hit, I, well, most memorable and it, it created the ability to that no matter how bad things get in a race that long, like 300 miles, there's plenty of time to get better. It, you know, if you can just hold on and get through that, even on a hundred mile race, if, if you're hitting mile 40, mile 60, and things are just not going your way, you're sick, you're throwing up or something's hurting, the, the, the most important thing that you can do is just keep moving forward and embracing that this is the current situation. I'm going to try my dangest to, to figure out how to counteract it and to, you know, bring it back to just keep moving forward. Even if you're walking, let your, let your ego go and understand that. Yeah. It's not going to be the, the goal time that you probably, you know, dreamt of, but to keep going. And so, when I was at Wasatch Tahoe, when I did the Wasatch Tahoe, when I was at the Wasatch, it was this ended up being the second hottest Wasatch on, on its record. And one of the highest drop rates that year. And, uh, I, I did it. I made a couple of fueling mistakes right around mile 25 and ended up turning my stomach to where I was puking. And a lot of things that people don't realize is I was not, I was, puking and I was using the restroom continuously. So both, so basically both ends. Yeah. And I think there's a good possible chance 
I was still young in my early stages of, of running that if I didn't have the, you know, that this whole big project developed where I was going to take a flight from the finish line, basically to Tahoe and start Tahoe late. And I had a crew there. I had, I had so much writing on this. I probably would have, there's a good chance I could have thrown in the towel because I was just so uncomfortable. Um, but because I had so much at stake, I just kept pushing and moving forward. And the biggest thing I would do is once I use the restroom, try to put in some food and then keep going and, you know, every five miles puking and I'd run and then puke and then run. (laughs) And I got through it. Like by the time I hit Brighton aid station, right around mile 65, almost 70, um, my stomach started to settle down. I stopped using the restroom. I was able to put down a burger and I started to put down my, my gels and all my nutrition. And I was running like a madman to get to that finish line because I had predicted that I was going to do a 26 hour Wasatch. And I was, it was looking like it was going to be more like a 30 hour Wasatch. And that's four hours that I was late for the plane that these pilots i had like they gave me like a two-hour window that i that i could be there so i knew that 28 hours was kind of like the end of that window and you know my wife was calling the uh, president of this uh chartering company saying please don't leave him don't you know like (laughs) so anyways and then they had a fiasco over there so i made it the pilot was there or the pilots were there. The plane was there. I'd get boarded up, but then we got held up for another four or five hours. Uh, it, it was about a four hour delay, five hour delay trying to work out the politics. If they were still going to get paid because they missed their connecting flight that they were going. So they get paid per flight, their contractor, wow. it, whole ordeal. Anyways, it all worked out. Yeah, It all worked out. And I kept pushing <laughs> forward and I ran into a handful of issues at Tahoe that I just kept pushing forward. I just kept it when I, I run, when I can walk, if I had to. And, um, and it was a great lesson and, and yeah. it just, it is a great empowerment of doing hard things. And, and it made this, the, 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 the excitement of doing these projects where now I'm, I'm more into creating and doing projects than I am into racing. Yeah. There's just races are, kind of more like training runs with aid stations, you know, with free food. Whereas <laughs> these projects, there's so much more self-fulfillment and uh, yeah. empowerment and uh, a challenge things to potentials of failure. So if you can get through it, it's gonna, it, it's just so much more rewarding. You know, it's just, I would say next level. Well, you, you speak of projects and I'm glad you did because you've got a huge one coming up with Mike McKnight here in October, the AZT 800. Can you just give me a quick overview with the, of that? Cause I, I definitely want to dive into more of that, but I, I, I want to, I would love to have both parties on, on this, but so I just give me a little bit of overview of how that yeah. kind of came to be. Yeah. So just a kind of little background when we, we did another project two years ago uh, called the Brawl, the Utah Brawl, where we linked up the Bear 100 and the Wasatch 100 with another 100-mile link up, and it's 300 miles. And while we were running it, we talked about how cool it would have been if we would have just raced each other and from opposite directions. 
<laughs> you know? And we were like, oh, it's kind of late now. We're already in the middle of running it. But these are the bad ideas that you think up while running on. Of course. Uh, <laughs> we got all that uh, uh, serotonin and the uh, dopamines dumping mm-hmm. into your brain. You're like, this sounds like an awesome idea. <laughs> well, we kept that idea of like, wouldn't it be cool to two people go head to head in opposite directions and decide, you know, how do you make that decision? Who goes which direction? Well, it has to be like, you know, kind of like a coin toss in a way. So there's no personal choice. And then Mike, after finishing the Colorado trail. So then fast forward after we did that, he, he felt really good during that 300 and according to Walter kind of encouraged him to go after the Colorado trail. And so he called me up and said, Hey, doing the Colorado trail. And so we, he did it, executed it and it worked out fantastic and got that FKT. And he started to look at the AT trail. He's like, I, something as a future big goal. And I'm like, well, that's awesome. But the way that you ran the Colorado trail in seven days with such little sleep, there is no possible way you're going to go 40, you know, sub 40 days Mm -hmm. with an hour of sleep a day. You're, you're going, I mean, it's just not going to, it's not going to go right. So right. I was like, we should find a shorter trail that, uh, we could practice, you know, <laughs> practice on <laughs> practice. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like run into issues and problem solve through them. So when you go and invest a t- the time and the money into a bigger project, you have a little bit more of a experience window, maybe, you know, gradual step up. <laughs> and so I, I suggested the AZT. And then when I was, cause I was actually looking at the AZT because the AZT is actually part of the great Western trail that goes from Canada down to Mexico, just kind of like a Pacific crest trail, but it's a very unpopular trail. It's the same trail. That's how we linked up the brawl with, because the, Bear 100s on the Great Western Trail as well. The Wasatch 100s on the Great Western Trail. There's so many cool trails that are on the Great Western, and the whole entire Arizona Trail is the Great Western Trail once it hits Arizona down to Me- down to Mexico. Okay. And so I was like, we talked about it. We're like, we should preview this because you know, and take a look at it. And so then fast forward, I'm calling him up like in a in a few days, going, hey what about our idea of starting on both ends and racing each other? And he's like, what are you talking about? Like, I said, well, I was looking at the, the FKT of the AZT and it's doesn't have a defined direction. It's, it's up to the runner to to choose which direction he's going. So historically people in the spring run South to North and people that do it in the fall run uh, north to south because of the heat situation and the snow situation. And uh, but technically, in the fall, you can technically go either direction. And you know, and so I was like, and you can go for the the FKT either direction. So I we actually emailed FKT uh, fastest known time and just said, hey, is this is this accurate? This is our because this is kind of a an idea that we have with this fly, we got to get yeah. your, your blessing. And they're like, you guys are idiots, but that would fly. <laughs> That's kind of the, the response. Just like you, you like, but I think as we pinged it off a couple different people, 
people are like, that is so cool. Like one, it's never been done before in our community. As far as we know, I have not had anybody ping me and say, Oh, so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so did it on this trail. Mm -hmm. Um, there's been talks of a couple different people doing it. And I think actually Joe McConaughey was actually string being was I think they talked about doing something similar. Some, if it was the AZT or somewhere similar or something else, but Oh no, is the Pinholy the Pinholy trail. It was Corey. I think it was Corey Wolverington. I heard from somebody he was going to race and do it at the same time, but I think they were going to go in the same direction. I don't know if they're going to go in opposite directions. Anyways, we wanted to make sure it was going to be legit. We thought it was such a cool idea. And so, and from a, from a physical standpoint, and this will be fun to ask Mike when he's on here, it's just like, cause you know, you're competitive. It's like, Hey, who's going to win? Of course, yeah. you know, I'm going to say I'm going to win. He's going <laughs> to say he's going to win, but I'm, I'm humble enough to know that he is definitely faster. Yeah. Like, um, from a, like, a we go out and trail run all the time together and there's sometimes he's in the hurt locker. There's sometimes I'm in the hurt locker, but in a, percentage he's definitely has especially the downhill he has some crazy awesome wheels flattened downhill so um i just have to kind of, what i bring to the table obviously is strategy and approach like yeah. and so uh i think i'll out strategize him and uh, <laughs> hopefully run smarter you know and so you know being prepared so that's kind of like so we're going to do a coin toss to let everybody know we're going to do a coin toss five days before the, before we start Mm -hmm. to determine which way we're going. We won't know if we're starting in this North or the South until five days before. So that that's That's probably one of the coolest, I think aspects because there's so much strategy that you could build. You gotta, I like, I'm currently building my race plan in both directions. It's like, I, I have to strategize both ways and depending on how the coin toss goes is depending on which yeah. strategy I, I grab. Wow. And, and this is October, what? October 15th. And since the, uh, that's when we're starting, uh, it's the current record by string bean is 13 days, um, two, three hours, 13 days, three hours, 21 minutes. And, uh, so that's what we're shooting for is any time under that. So yeah. that puts us done by like the 27th. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to kind of follow along with that and see how that goes. And I know there's a lot of people that are, that I kind of trail run with that are always, you know, always talking about that too. So, um, yeah, I, I would love to have you and Mike on and we could chat a little bit about it before, before it happens or even afterwards actually, and see how it, how it all played out. Yeah, there'll yeah, be but, there'll be stories for afterwards. There'll for, be plenty sure. of stories. After. <laughs> well, Ben, I I uh, I'm not going to keep you any longer. I know you're at the home and you got your kids there and stuff. So I I thank you so much for for jumping on today and and chatting with me and kind of sharing your story and how you got into it and some of your experiences. I appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. The Trail Life Podcast, presented by Solomon, is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Stoner. Theme song provided by The Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other place you stream your favorite podcasts. Thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you on the trails real soon.